Very good. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We are just moving on through Ecclesiastes. We've been going verse by verse through Ecclesiastes, and we're about to pick up some steam over the coming weeks. Advent is breathing down our neck, and so we got a few more weeks until we'll be finished with Ecclesiastes. Um, I don't know about you, but all of my grandparents have passed away. Um, my grandma and grandpa, my nanny and my yaya. If you're like me, uh, maybe you wished that you could have sat down with your grandparents and learned from them. Um, I've felt this way with my, my grandpa, my yaya. There should be a picture up here. Um, oops, didn't mean to put that one up my parents on Halloween. You can go, <laughs> go back to that other one. I, I didn't mean to throw that up there. Didn't mean that. That's my dad, my mom. Again, Halloween, didn't mean to do that. That is... He's got his jock pearls before the jock pearls were cool. That's unbelievable. I can't believe that just happened. Um, you can go to the other one. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Um, but uh, this is the OG Ernie. Um, he is my yaya, Ernest Pedigo Wagner I. Um, he was a second lieutenant in World War II, a quiet man. And I would have loved to be able to sit down with him and tell me about the Great Depression. What did you learn? Tell me about World War II. He would, he would not share about those things. Obviously, gone through some significant trauma in his own life. But um, he passed away when I was 15. And such a treasure to, to have those opportunities where you can sit down with a grandmother or grandfather and, and learn from them. And so in Ecclesiastes 7, we, we have a... It's like Solomon's tone shifts. He's gone from like pursuing the meaning of life, and we've talked about that at length. If you haven't been around, check out our podcast for that. But we enter into chapter 7, and his tone changes. He goes from searching meaning to providing some advice. And as a grandpa type, this, this character is, uh, it's, like, it's like Solomon uh, invites us over for coffee, it's like he invited you over as a grandfather type over, you, over for coffee. And so you pull into his estate. Imagine, again, use your imagination for a second. It's like the Buckingham Palace. You've been invited into his home. You have a driver that's pulled up next to the door. The driver lets you out of the doors. You go to the wealthiest man who's ever lived, one of the wisest men to ever live. And, and he opens the door and he, he welcomes you. You go inside, he's an older man, and so all of his furniture is in plastic, and so you see throughout, there's plastic everywhere, again, an older gentleman, and he makes super extra strong coffee, just the way he likes it, and you're too timid to ask for cream, and so you're just going to have to deal with the coffee for the time you have with him, and as you sit down on this plastic-covered furniture, you see gold kind of over everything, again, the wealthiest man to ever live, and after a little while, he just begins to share and impart wisdom to you. Again, he's been through the gauntlet of life, and he's come out on the other side, and you're sitting with him, and he's about to provide some significant wisdom to you, and we're, we're about to listen in on that. So the following words, we find something full of nourishment, but also full of heat. Um, both of those things are going to be true as we read through this. Let's read uh, Proverbs, I'm not Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 7, uh, starting in verse 1. It says this, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. 
It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. But there's the end of a thing than its beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not why were the former days better than these. For it is not from the wisdom that you is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God, who can make make straight what he has made crooked. And he continues. So this grandpa type begins to unpack some things, and maybe some of those things are surprising. He, he's been on this search of meaning and trying to find this, this desire for achievement and success, and he's come out on the other side, and he begins to focus on the inside of our hearts. He's emphasized a pursuit of things up till chapter six, and now he's changed gears. He says, meaning isn't found in what you do, but in who you are. Meaning isn't found in what you do, but in who you are. It doesn't matter uh, if you are attractive or if you're right or how good your resume is. It doesn't matter if your name is synonymous with something. It doesn't matter if, if, if your name is synonymous with something that you don't want it to be. So he says that you're, what is that in verse 1? A good name is better than ointments. See, if you're wise, when you age, what matters isn't what you do. What matters is who you are. It's not about your resume, but about your character. So you can do all of the external things Solomon's telling us, but what matters is character. What matters is courage. What matters is doing hard things when you don't want to do those hard things. So you and I will be tempted to care about what people think, but at the end of the day, what matters is the health of your soul. That's what Solomon's telling us here. Material possessions are not more valuable than the content of our character and the quality of our souls. Again, a good name is better than precious ointment. There's something significant about being a person of character, about being someone who is cared for your soul. Solomon says, I can see it translated, that sometimes it is not a good idea to get a raise or a promotion if that raise or a promotion will affect your soul in a negative way. Sometimes it is not a good idea to climb the ladder if climbing the ladder will cause your soul to suffer. A good name is better than precious ointment. These aren't bad, but they can be detrimental if our soul isn't, uh, we're not seeking to care for our souls the most. Caring for our soul is the most important thing we're called to steward. It's the one thing that only we can steward, caring for our soul. A good name is better than precious ointment. And then he says, the day of death better than the day 
of birth. So why is the day, of be- de- the day of death better than the day of birth? Why? Birth is about potential. We see these little kiddos up here, right? It's about their future, the potential of what could be. But death is about fulfillment. It's about what you have done with what you have been given. See, death is about what you did with what you had, and birth is about what you can do with what you will have. See, death is about fulfillment, especially for those who follow Jesus. Fulfillment is better than potential, Solomon's saying. So for the Christian, death is uh, only the beginning. It's not the end. We believe the story that Jesus has given to us is that death is real and a part of all of our stories, but we also believe that he swallowed death, and it's not the final chapter. It's only the beginning of what is to come. It's the wise who use funerals to be introspective, paying attention to where the trajectory of our life is. See, partying with friends is great, but no one in that moment is thinking deeply about life. When you're sitting down with friends and you're eating that steak and you're drinking that glass of Beaujolais, we aren't asking, am I okay? Like, how am I doing in life? We're just laughing and giving exaggerated stories. Like, we're not actually giving thought to where we are. See, the thought about our fragility leads us to ask questions like, who am I becoming and what is my legacy and what would be written in my eulogy? See, death is greater than birth, he says. And he, he, the grandfather that we're sitting with drinking that extra strong cup of coffee, he feels that more than us as he's in the latter half of his life. He continues and mentions the, the house of mourning two times. In chapter two and chapter four, he says, it is better to go to the house of mourning. And then he says, the house of the wise is in the house of mourning. See, in feasting, we can have amnesia and we can forget Uh, considering where the trajectory of our life is going. We can use feasting and celebration to ignore and to avoid. And there is times for feasting. Solomon's already told us that. But if that's all we do, then we will miss out on being uh, uh, willing to evaluate where our life's trajectory is. We can be busy. We can busy our lives and in return become numb to where we're going. It is better for your soul to go to a funeral than a party. Again, he says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Stephen Covey uh, wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the, one of the values he has is uh, thinking with the end in mind. And he lays out an example of what this could look like. He calls it the funeral exercise. And it's the day that you die, and he wants to give a picture of what it would be like. It's Halloween, so it makes a little more sense. Maybe you're a a ghost, and you're kind of in the room of the funeral. And it's your funeral, and you're listening to the people that are there and the stories that they tell about you. What would your friends say about you? What would your family say about you? What would your colleagues say? say about you. See, as you listen, what would you like them to say? See, in that house of mourning, we can evaluate our life. It is here that we reflect and say, is my trajectory, am I becoming the person that I want to be or not? And the beauty of living is that we still have a choice to shape that trajectory and where we're going. 
And as Solomon sits, the latter half of his life, only a few years left with the coffee in his hand, he's saying, don't forget that you can still make choices that will change your life for the better. You can make, you can shape the trajectory of your future. He knows a thing or two about parting, but it is in these spaces of mourning where we become honest with where we are. So friends, what is your life's trajectory? If you look at that example with Stephen Covey, what would people say about you? People that know you the most. At Sojourn, we value authenticity. There's four distinctives that we bleed. One is gospel-centered, two is contemplative, three is authentic, and four is missional. What we say in Sojourn Connect, which is kind of an on-ramp to learn more about who we are, we say this regarding being authentic. We invite you to come as you are, no matter where you are in your journey of faith. We desire that you would feel safe to come with your questions, your doubts, and your hopes, and together we can allow the beauty and truth of God's word through God's spirit to change us. However, we don't end with come as you are because the gospel offers us more than staying where we are. It invites us to something much more wonderful. We say come as you are but don't stay there because we believe the power of the gospel through the spirit has the ability to lead us into maturity and transformation. So the value that we have at Sojourn is to take your mask off. To kind of actually recognize where you are regardless of where you are. There's no bad place for you to be. We say we are a hospital. Come as you are and we believe that Jesus has the power to shape and change you into his image. So we have to ask, do you know where you are? We have to take time to evaluate where we are, considering tendencies that we might have that are counter to Jesus. We invite you to come as you are. Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. And it's true because there are tendencies that we have that we've learned, and Jesus is inviting us into a new way of life, allowing all of Jesus to shape all of who we are. So after Grandpa refills our coffee, he continues in verse 6, and he says, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Who's been uh, making fires this fall so far? I know, Corey, Corey, I know, know Corey, you're like the fire machine. Have you made any yet? This this fall? Yeah, I thought so. Fireman. Um, There's nothing better than having good seasoned wood on a crisp night being able to enjoy a fire with people that you love, or by yourself for that matter. But there's, he talks about thorns, and man, you put thorns, or you put small sticks, specifically thorns in a fire, it's a quick flame. It comes and it goes pretty fast, and it doesn't provide much heat at all. So what he is saying is, when you are on fire, you scream, right? Like that's wisdom. If you get caught on fire, your response ought not to ignore the flame that is with you, but to scream that there is a fire and that you need help. This is what wise people do. They don't laugh when they're on fire. They scream. See, the fool in their pride will ignore when they are on fire. And this is what Solomon is telling us. The wise one in their humility will scream when they're on fire, and the foolish one when they're on fire They'll laugh and ignore it. See, Grandpa Solomon is engaging pride here. He's engaging our tendency to have pride when we are in a place of need. See, pride will tell you you aren't on fire. Pride will tell you that you 
uh, shouldn't cry out for help. Pride will seek to provide a pseudo-protection while you are drowning. Pride will busy yourself from your reality. And the wise, however, they cry out. When they're struggling, they cry out. When they're hurting, they cry out. And when they're in need, they cry out. And how many marriages would have uh, been saved if someone in that marriage would have cried out fire? We need help. How many people who smelt smoke and ignored it wished they would have yelled fire in hindsight? How many people owned by secret sin end up hiding and giggling while the fire engulfs them? The wise scream out, I'm on fire and I need help. How many people struggling but stayed quiet would have been liberated if they just yelled out, fire, I need help. See, he goes on, but this, this question resounds in my soul and it's uniquely as I've gone through this passage this last week, I've felt like we just needed to sit here for a little bit. Are we wise or are we foolish? I don't wanna be on fire and I don't want you to be on fire. And if you are, we as a community invite you not to stay there. We gather to remember the story of Jesus. We gather to remember our need for Jesus. We gather to remember the gospel and embrace repentance. Sometimes we just need a moment for someone to pray for us, to say, I'm on fire and I need Jesus to help me. So t- transparently, as, as I went through prepping for this last week, I just felt like we needed to have some space on the back end of our gathering to pray. And so we're going to do that in just a few minutes. We don't do this often, and and really we haven't done this in forever. Uh, But I believe that there's an opportunity for some of us where we feel like we're smelling smoke or sensing fire that we need to just call it out and receive prayer. So if you need prayer, Alex and myself are going to be up here. Wesley and Ashley Terpster are going to be up here in just a few minutes. And we're going to invite you, if you need prayer, to receive prayer. So for some of you, you may be on fire. You know what I mean? Like you may find yourself in a position where pride would tell you, ah, it's fine. You can put it out yourself. But Jesus is inviting you to come and receive healing. Maybe you're just smelling smoke, but we know that there's fire not far away. Maybe for some of you, you just feel worn out and need someone to just pray for you, to hold you and just say, hey, you're not alone. Either way, this may be the wisest thing that you can do. You know what I want? I want us to come as we are and not stay there. I want us to be a community that's actually honest enough with where we are, regardless of where we are, that we're not willing to stay there. I want us to be a hospital. We don't gather with our chest puffed out. We gather together. You might not know this, but we gather with a limp, saying we don't have it all together. We're broken, and there's only one who can rescue us. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. What I don't want is for you to pretend like everything's okay when it's really not and to leave no different than you came. So the question we have for you this morning is how can we pray for you? Again, we're gonna have some time in just a few minutes where if you're courageous enough, and I wanna encourage you to be because there's nobody that's gonna judge you. 
to receive prayer and say, man, smoke, I smell it. Fire, it's here. And I'm just worn out. I need some prayer. I'll close with this story. In The Great Divorce, some of you have read it probably. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a very intriguing book on heaven and hell. It's an allegory. And uh, there are these lost ghosts that, again, Halloween, just why not? Um, There's a bus that goes to hell. And you can take the bus, again, allegory. Is this literal? Where's this in the Bible? It's just allegory, okay? And so uh, go bus to hell, ghosts go to heaven, and there's this conversation. And you can get out if you're a ghost and you have the potential of going to heaven, but you have to go through some of these steps. And so there's kind of some focus characters, and, and one of them is this one dude, and he's got a lizard on his shoulder. If you've read the book, you remember the story. And this lizard is just yapping in his ear nonstop, telling him, man, you need to go back to hell. This is not your space. You need to go back to where you are. And then this angel shows up to this guy with the lizard on his shoulder. And he's like, hey, I can remove that lizard. You actually need that lizard to be removed if you want a chance to go to heaven. The lizard's like, no, you can't do that. Like, I am your life. And if you lose me, you lose everything. And so there's this like this debate of the angel saying, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I am going to say that you have to be willing for me to cut the lizard off if you want to find freedom. And the lizard's like, you're not going to find freedom without me. And again, this tug of war happens. It goes on and, um, and the angel said, I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you if I took the lizard off. And then finally... The ghost decides for the lizard to be removed and the angel takes the sword, cuts off the lizard and the lizard falls to the ground and turns into this beautiful horse. See, that ghost had to make a choice to let go of something that felt very important to them, but it was in that moment that they actually found healing. Sometimes we have to cry out fire and it's in that place that God actually meets us we find healing. So in this story, as we finish our cup of coffee, we find nourishment from Solomon, but we also find the heat that he's providing in his wisdom and care for your soul. In his wisdom, he invites us to consider if there's a fire going on that we actually would respond. If there's smoke that we smell that we actually respond. If we find ourselves worn out and weary and tired, that we would cry out for help. And I believe that God will meet us in that place. That's where I want to land this morning. I want to invite you as the team comes up. We're going to take a few minutes as Ashley Wesley and Alex and I um, come up. And we just want to invite you to respond in the way that you need to. Again, we're not trying to manipulate the moment, not trying to create something that's not here, but do believe that there's some of you that smell smoke, some of you that, that feel fire, and some of you that are just worn out and need help. And I believe that God wants to meet us in our courage and taking a step of faith. So the band's gonna play a song in just a few minutes. And yeah, if that's you, I, I just wanna, I wanna pray for you and I wanna invite you to come up and I wanna pray for our community together. So Father, I, I thank you for moments like these that we can evaluate the wisdom in the house of the morning, wisdom in evaluating where we are. And uh, Lord, for some of my friends this morning that maybe 
smell smoke or feeling the fire or just feeling worn out and need help. Lord, by your spirit, I pray that you'd meet us. We don't want to just gather and go through the motions. We want your spirit to move and minister to us. And so we give you these next few minutes, God. Pray that you'd meet, meet us and you'd move in our lives. In Jesus' name.